Welcome to She's a DPM, a platform for women to share their experiences, knowledge, and insights on cultivating a life in and outside the field of podiatric medicine and surgery. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Oxman, and today's special guest is Dr. Ashley Dykus. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to have you on and we're talking about some really interesting topics today. Um, but before we get started, do you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So yeah, my name is Ashley Dykus. I am currently an assistant professor in the College of Podiatric Medicine and Surgery at Des Moines University, and I also act as the clinical department chair. Um, I am originally from a small town in central Indiana. After um, graduating high school, went on to get my undergraduate degree at Purdue University, um, had my degree in biology with a minor in history. After that, I made my way out to Des Moines, Iowa, where I attended Des Moines University. So um, I am very biased in all of my opinions about DMU, obviously. But um, after, um, while I was there, actually, I guess one um, thing of interest is that I ended up um, meeting my husband, who was one of my classmates. So we, uh, after graduation, got married in like the tiny little window in between graduation and before we started residency. And we were lucky enough to match to the same residency program. So we both um, completed our residency training at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, UPMC, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, during that time, I, it was during my third year that I had my first son and then um, actually had my second during my first year out in practice. Um, so that's certainly something we could touch on here at some point um, if we wanna talk about. But uh, after Pittsburgh, which we absolutely loved, it was a great place to live. Um, he's from Iowa, I'm from Indiana. So it was nothing like anywhere we had ever lived before. We really enjoyed it. And certainly our training uh, was something that, you know, I wouldn't trade for anything. It was an awesome experience. Afterwards, we were both looking for something that was kind of in an orthopedic group or multi-specialty kind of setting, and an opportunity popped up in East Tennessee, so not too far from Knoxville, Tennessee, and again, not necessarily like on our radar of places to move to, since we were both from the Midwest, but if you've ever visited that part of the country, it is absolutely beautiful. People are so friendly, and we just really kind of both fell into like excellent situations as far as, as jobs were concerned. So I went into an orthopedic group uh, that was part of a kind of hospital-based. And then uh, my husband, Jeff, was in a kind of standalone um, orthopedic group, private practice. So we were there for a couple of years and then eventually made our way back to, to Iowa. So uh, just kind of, it's tough when there's two of you trying to find a job in the same you know, area, the same profession but it's just really worked out from a timing standpoint. We were able to, to make it back to, to Iowa. Um, and that's how I ended up back at DMU. Wow. I didn't realize that you, uh, one, I also went to Des Moines university mm -hmm. and also biased that I, I had a great experience and like recommend it to anybody that always reaches out, but there's always a school for everyone, but that one Absolutely. was the one that was the one for me. And I actually met my husband at Des Moines University as well. Really? Yeah. Watch I, out for the one. He'll, he'll <laughs> listen to this and he'll uh, be embarrassed, but that's okay. I <laughs> remember going in and I was like, I'm going to not date anybody. I'm 
within a month we were dating. <laughs> <laughs> it's a famous last <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so you guys then matched together. Mm-hmm. Wow. Did, did you plan your externships like together as well? Or did it just happen? You know, it's, I get asked this a lot because there are actually a lot of couples that form during, you know, podiatry school. And it's just that time of life and whether it's two podiatry students or podiatry student and a, you know, someone from a different specialty, whatever that, that looks like. But for us, the way we kind of approached it was that we just knew that we wanted to get the very best training possible. Right. And you really only get these three years, you know, four, if you do a fellowship, to, to make the most of it and to get that opportunity. And so while we went to similar locations, we didn't go to all the same programs. We actually went to a lot of different programs. It just so happens that again, stars aligned. We got lucky. We both absolutely loved UPMC and it, it worked out. Yeah. That's I, um, we did something similar where we still pursued our own interests and some of those extern months like overlapped, but most of them didn't. And we ended up he went to the Portland program and I went to Franciscan in Washington. So we decided at least the same time zone. <laughs> well, and that works out, right? I mean, and, yeah. and again, it's kind of one of those things that you're so busy anyway. I mean, we were in the same program and we still didn't see each other a ton, whether that was at work or, you know, just like some in the evening. So, you know, it can definitely be a long three years, I'm sure, like being apart, but um that is really your your one chance to get the residency training that's going to set you up for the rest of your career and so it's it's a really uh important decision obviously yeah absolutely i i will say so you had your first child during your third year of residency i did how can you dive into like a little more on that experience um because i know i do have a lot of listeners that are always curious about how, or just people, they just want to know somebody that's been, been through that. Sure. Yeah. You know, it was, it was interesting. I think first off, I'll say that I was really lucky in that my residency director, my attendings, the program, everyone was super supportive. So I didn't get any kind of like, you know, you hear stories of people, you know, hearing people say, oh, well, we don't want to take females because we don't want anybody to be out for maternity leave or just some like negativity around that that was not at all my experience. I will say that, you know, certainly um, there were times that it was difficult, you know, especially towards those last couple months, but because of the timing with which I did it, I, if it would have been during my first or second year, that would have been way more challenging. And, and for the kind of structure of our program, that's really when, you know, especially second year, you're on a lot of those off-service rotations that are, you know, plastics recon and, ortho trauma and some of these that are just from a time standpoint really challenging. As you get into the third year, we do a lot more teaching of the opportunity to do that. So a lot of times you're going to be paired up with a junior resident. And so I was able to kind of take advantage of that aspect of it too, because I could kind of step back, especially towards the end and do more of that kind of teaching. So for me, that fit really well. I certainly still, I didn't miss out on any cases. Um, You know, I wasn't off all that long. So I, I was really kind of pleased with the way it worked out. Now, it's not one of those things that unfortunately we can always plan the timing of, right? Even with our best intentions, but it worked out. It worked out really well for me. I spent my first Mother's Day in the OR all day doing add-ons. Um, so, I mean, there's certainly, it just kind of comes with it, right? But I felt like in some ways, 
it was actually easier to have there's residency directors out there everywhere right now are going oh my gosh what are you saying but it was easier for me to have a baby during residency than it was when I was out in practice um, when you're in residency to some extent you're kind of insulated and supported that you have all these other residents and attendings and at the end of the day while they're your patients to take care of they're your attendings patients right but when you are out and it's you and it's your patients that was a lot more challenging actually to get coverage and I worried a lot more when I was out on leave about you know just being gone so um, there's kind of pros and cons to both, but it's it's definitely doable. There have been multiple female residents at my program since I left. I think I started a little something uh, who have who have had uh, children during residency and and have done that successfully. So thank you for sharing that. And you you're right. Like you your second you said your second son was mm-hmm. born in the first first year of practice. So because mm-hmm. I know that's always a that's always a, a challenge when you're trying to build your career and also fit in that life portion. And if you are wanting a family, uh, when to, when to, uh, if you're able to plan it, uh, bring that in. Do you, um, have anything that like you specifically did that like made it an easier trend, like started transitioning that into your residency, like training? Yeah. From a, from a residency standpoint, I knew that I wanted it to be as close towards the end of residency yeah. as possible. And you also have to keep in mind what rotations you're potentially going to miss and what you have to make up. You know, for some people, it's really important to them that they absolutely graduate when the rest of their class graduates. And I have, you know, many people that I know in podiatry or, or otherwise who just are like, well, I'm just going to graduate a month or two later than everyone else. I'm going to have to make up the rotation. It worked out again, timing wise for me really well in the sense that it was a second month of a rotation I'd already completed and I'd already met all my minimum requirements and certainly was well past having all of my case, you know, requirements and whatnot from that standpoint. So I think those are considerations you have to look at is what are you going to miss and how would you make that up? Who is going to cover while you're out? And in residency, luckily, there's usually a co-resident or someone who can kind of pick that up and hopefully you know, you can kind of return the favor later on or on the front end, maybe front load more of your call time. So that way it's not falling on your co-residents to just pick up the slack. My husband being one of my co-residents ended up taking on quite a bit of mine um, that worked out in that scenario. But when it came to kind of planning for being out in practice, I think the important things are to, to start early as soon as I kind of within reason knew when I was gonna be out potentially on maternity leave, I was already reaching out to my ortho partners and the hospital and other folks and saying, hey, this is coming at some point. You know, would you be willing to cover these things for me? And you have to start thinking about, you know, okay, if I'm gonna be out on leave, do I want to do surgery like a couple of days before? And no, that's probably not responsible to do elective surgery and then be gone for, you know, six to eight weeks. So there's lots of things like that that you definitely have to take kind of into consideration. But I think you just you start as early as you kind of know what's happening and when, and then hope that, you know, those around you can kind of help, help you out. And it, it worked out well for me. That was great tips too, especially like front loading your call schedule. Like lots of times you hear some people are like, well, that shouldn't fall on the other co-residents. Well, your team and yeah, you, you have the ability to, um, to help them maybe before they help you too. So 
I, I'm, that's a, that's a great, uh, pearl there too. So you did start in the, an orthopedic center and a hospital center, and then transitioned to an academic setting. So what brought that besides, it sounds like moving back to Iowa near, um, probably family, but, uh, was that the main decision or like reason or. I, I always knew that it was a goal of mine to be in academics. So I, that was, you know, and, and not only just to be in academics, but to be hopefully back at, at Des Moines University. I have always enjoyed that aspect of medicine. Um, you know, even again, in my residency training, there was a lot of that kind of focus on teaching and that kind of group effort. And you really know that you understand and know how to do something when you can teach it to someone else, right? And you know, I think you work with residents, correct? Like in your current position. Yeah. So you can appreciate too, and this happens all day long with students. You'll be doing something and a student will ask you, you know, why do you hold your hand like that? Or why do you, you know, always do this or that? And, you know, a lot of times, hopefully you have a good answer for why. And sometimes you're like, huh, why do I do it that way? Right. It really makes you think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so I've always just kind of liked that bit of challenge um, and just have always been kind of drawn to academia. So I knew that working at DMU would hopefully happen someday. That was always my goal that I would try for that. But I also knew that I wanted to go out and get some experience before heading into that. So it wasn't something that I wanted to do straight out of residency. There certainly are people who make that transition smoothly and do great. But I, I knew I wanted to go out and get some experience first. So the timing just worked out that there was an available position when we were coming back uh, to Iowa. So again, I think just really got, got lucky in that standpoint. With that transition, did you, with that, and I understand wanting to build the experience as well, and that like worked well for you. Did you um, go through like different board certifications prior or you're still working on that? Yeah, when I, when we moved, and I started um, at DMU, I was right in the process of going through my ABFAS. I'd had all my cases, but again, things got a little bit wonky with like the move and this and that. And I was like, okay, I'll start that process. So I actually, that's a, another kind of challenging aspect of when you move to a different job or move particularly out of state. Um, you know, when you do have to go through that process and they want records from a hospital that's in another state and all of that, um, many people, struggle with that that doesn't have specifically have to do with moving to academia but just kind of moving out of state and all of that so that kind of process was already started and then since then did the um, ABPM certification as well so nothing that was specific to being in academics um, but certainly there are some a different kind of skill set that's required for that and so that was definitely a, a bit of a steep learning curve joining the university I was going to say, what was the biggest, besides going from a, probably a very busy hospital orthopedic group where it's more like probably uh, heavy surgical and clinical, like how has that transition been going to Des Moines? Yeah, it, it was interesting because I absolutely loved my job in Tennessee. I really did. I had wonderful orthopedic partners. The, the group was fantastic. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that. And you're right. It was, it was you know, higher surgical load, and it was busy from a clinical standpoint. And I was the only DPM in the group as well, which has its own set of challenges. So to transition then into the university setting, where now my time is allocated differently, right? 
So my clinical time, you know, is only is just a little less than half of my time that I spend now working. So certainly that was a change of pace. Um, so there is a different kind of mix and variety to a patient pathology that you see coming in through an orthopedic group kind of setting versus in an academic setting in an all podiatry group. But it's been so nice to have partners, right? So just today we did a case conference where the students got to kind of all log on and we discussed a challenging case and got to kind of talk through like how everyone would approach it and which ways they would, you know, what, what they would do or wouldn't do. And that's really been beneficial. And I really like that aspect of being in this, in this group setting. I think the biggest kind of challenge that I faced was learning how to do things like write a good exam question. That is so much harder than it seems like it should be like, and ask, you know, the poor students who had to probably deal with my exam questions the first, you know, year or so, especially, you know, it is really difficult to, to do that well. And to, you know, know how much material to put in a lecture and what's maybe not necessary, you know, just all kinds of little things about lecture, again, lecture presentation and creation, exam items, and just learning a lot about the kind of flow of the university being in an academic, you know, institution like that. There are lots of committees and processes and all types of things that, that I wasn't aware of learning about accreditation for university, all those types of things that just were not at all on my radar and weren't anything that I really had to consider in my previous position. Yeah. And as when we're students there, like we're just working our way through and getting by. So you probably don't even realize like what your professors and attendings are, or <laughs> what they're doing. Absolutely. Uh, you see them in, cl- you see them in class and you think, okay, this is what they do all day. And then you move on and you see them in clinic and you're like, oh, you also are in clinic and you do that. And then now you see it on the flip side of things. And you're like, and you sit in on multiple committees and you have to do research and you do all these things. And so it is interesting to kind of see the behind the scenes um, view, definitely different than the way I interpreted it as a student. I was going to say, any students listening, give your uh, professor some grace because it sounds like there's a lot behind the scenes that they're making work for you. (laughs) 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 So does that with the committees play into your chair? Okay. Yeah. So, so my current role is a clinical department chair, which basically means that I see oversee the foot and ankle clinic at the university. And so myself with our uh, lovely office manager um, oversee all of the schedules and basically that clinical allocation for just running the practice there at the university. And so certainly that obviously includes as well the education of our students. So we mostly have third year students, as you recall, in our clinic. And so trying to find that good workflow to make sure that we're incorporating the students and also you know, running an efficient practice. So that's kind of my role from an administrative standpoint. Running the clinic on itself is already a challenge and then having to incorporate education and students. I'm sure that is, um, a, uh, it's a, a challenge on its own. It is. It's different. That's for sure. Yeah. I also want to talk about, cause you are in academics and work for a university a little bit on a topic that I feel like is getting brought more to light in the past couple of years. And that's with the recent matriculation statistics for podiatric, um, universities. 
And just, I know we kind of went over these before we started recording, but just for the listeners, um, APMSA came out with, and I believe this is for year 2021, 2022. So last year that they've seen a 21% decrease in applications. Um, There was a 4% increase in female applicants, but out of 700 seats, not including um, the new uh, Texas school that only 350 students were accepted up for those 700 seats. So kind of some um, interesting statistics and kind of like worrisome in some aspects, but want to get your opinion on, on uh, this trend that we're seeing currently. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that this is the biggest issue currently facing our profession. I think that podiatry has like a PR problem, right? I mean, this is, it's, it's a lot about just kind of public knowledge of understanding what a podiatrist is, what it means to go to podiatry school versus to go to allopathic or osteopathic medical school. So I think that, you know, I sit on the admissions committee, for example, at our university. And so I get a chance to talk to a lot of applicants that come through for the program. And over and over and over again, as you read through people's personal statements or you chat with these um, folks, it comes up over and over again that people are like, yeah, I didn't even know about podiatry until a year ago, or I didn't know about podiatry until six months ago, or you know, whatever it may be. It's either you've had some kind of a personal interaction with a podiatrist because you've had an injury or you have a close family member who has, or oftentimes you just don't even realize that it's an option. So I think a lot of that stems from just a lack of just kind of general knowledge about the profession, which is why it's great that people like you are are making podcasts and there are people out there that are on social media and doing all kinds of things to try and kind of promote that and, and make sure that people understand what that means. Understandably so, there's a lot of confusion out there about what a podiatrist does. And, you know, rightfully so, there are lots of different kind of generations of podiatrists out there right now that are practicing that do have different skill sets based on their training, because the training has changed a lot over the years. And so I think that does affect and lead to some some degree of confusion. So I think that those statistics are really concerning. And we can talk about, you know, parity and all those types of things as much as we want but really that none of that will ever happen unless we are matriculating and graduating really good quality applicants and that there is, you know, a good robust applicant pool for the profession. And I think you said that correctly too, that there is like this confusion and then there's just even confusion within our own profession. Like when your two major boards are constantly putting putting out letters to each other and we're all just like can we can we how are we supposed to convince other professions and uh, (laughs) that what we have to offer when we're internally arguing with each other it's um absolutely no I mean it is it causes confusion from the hospitals right if there's misunderstanding about what it means to be board certified and what it takes to be board certified that's a problem in and of itself the fact that our board certification process looks different you know than than others that's just you can understand why there's confusion there and and i agree i think that you know it is 
it is challenging and um I think it's going to take time unfortunately too as as time progresses and there are more people out practicing who have kind of similar um training and whatnot and that's not to say anything negative about those that have been out in practice for a long time and have all that great experience but again it's just a matter of when it comes from a hospital or administrative level there's there is some confusion out there yeah and I know you're part of several committees so I'm sure this is a topic that the, the schools are talking about and trying to um to increase those statistics uh I don't know if there's anything you touch on like what the current like educational from educational standpoint we strategies to improve and then also want to touch on like what us and more uh, not in an academic setting like ways that we can try to help uh, improve these statistics too yeah I think unfortunately it's going to take everyone working together and doing at least a little bit to really move the needle so I think it needs to come from a national level coming from national organizations making it a priority to maybe step away again from things like pushing so hard for parity or or this or that and some of those initiatives and moving that focus towards the applicant pool. But I think it also is going to have to be grassroots to some extent, right? It's going to have to involve, you know, if if everyone took one day out of the year and reached out to their alma mater, their undergrad institution, their high school, whatever that may look like, and was like, hey, can I come and speak to your, you know, pre-health, you know, club, or can I come and speak to a class on career day or whatever that may look like. I mean, to some extent, it's, it really is all about just even knowing that it's an option. I know I didn't know podiatry was an option and until my advisor said something about it in undergrad. And I don't know that I ever would have sought this out. And so thank goodness she said something. Otherwise, I don't know that I would have, have known to even go down this path and look into it as an option. So I think that it can't all fall just on the schools to build this applicant pool. It most kind of immediately affects the schools, but it will begin to affect the entire profession with time if this trend continues. And so I think that it, it's going to involve national level, but I think it also can be those that, that aren't involved um, in an academic institution or, or otherwise to maybe do some, some outreach just within their community. And I think that I know it's asking people to take time away to do those things, but I think that that small little snips of time can really make a big difference. Yeah. And it's an easy way without having to like, that you're able to give back. Like it's Mm -hmm. not hard to reach out to, like you said, your alma mater or even a neighboring school in your area. It doesn't even have to be your alma mater, but just being able to um, spread awareness of what podiatry and podiatric surgeons have to to offer I agree well thanks for um kind of discussing more about that because that is something that I I'm out of school I'm out of residency fellowship but it's still I care about this profession and I know a lot of us do and it's we have to do our our part Absolutely. Yeah. And now with Zoom and things like that, there's even, you know, more opportunities to to reach out, right? And a lot of the kind of clubs, like we spoke recently to a club at a school from another state, an undergrad club, because we could do it via Zoom. And so those opportunities exist too. And that 
hopefully puts even less like friction in the process of, of trying to, to do that and reach out. So we'll move into some of those final thoughts and questions. So the first one that I always ask everybody is what is something outside of podiatry that you are currently learning or doing? So this past year, especially as my kids have gotten a little bit older and I have a little bit more kind of freedom to do things, I've gotten really into like endurance sports. So it's kind of my like way to, you know, get in some exercise, but also get some like time to myself, um, which I've just really enjoyed. And I think that, again, not to always draw work into it, this it's its own separate thing, but obviously like there's a lot from a biomechanics standpoint that's kind of interesting and, you know, shoe choices and all those types of things. So I did more kind of the running side of things this past year. And so this next year I'm looking into more like cycling, like biking types of things, which I know very little about. Um, I think the last bike I purchased was probably like 15 years ago. I don't know. So I'm, I'm kind of doing some research and looking into things like that because we're lucky here in central Iowa, there are just like crazy, amazing bike paths. It's just, you know, paved trails that go forever in any direction. And so that's something that I've been kind of, kind of looking into. So it's just kind of a fun thing to. Did you go to Fleet Feet in East Village? <laughs> I have been to Fleet Feet in East Village. I, I worked there when I was a student. So tell they're awesome. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> if, and that's another opportunity for any students working. Like there's all the running shoe stores, like, and, uh, different companies like that. Like it's a great place to part-time work. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it sounds like then you're trying to, is it is the goal to eventually do a triathlon? like eventually include swimming or we'll see. Yeah. That's the, like, I've left that for last on purpose. Cause it is not my, my strong suit by, by any means, but I would love to someday. Um, we'll see what happens. So. And you're so right. I like, I loved, I loved Des Moines. Like I would, I loved it so much and it's so beautiful and there's actually so much to, uh, to do. So <laughs> surprising, right? I think a lot of people have low expectations of what Des Moines might have to offer if you've never been there, but it really is. It's, it's a great place to, to go to school. I mean, fun things to do with your free time and it's been a great place to live. Yeah, I agree. I miss it. <laughs> um, what is a tip that you wish you could tell your younger self about pursuing a career in podiatric medicine and surgery? So about, let's see, it's been a year at least, um, since, our previous dean, who had been the dean at the college for over 20 years, Dr. Tim Yoho, uh, he was kind of making some final remarks, had a little get together, the little celebration that everybody had for his, um, you know, kind of retirement from the university. And he said something that really stuck with me. And I'm going to paraphrase here. So if Dr. Yoho listens to this, I apologize if I don't get this just right. But he basically said that work and this job is not your life. It should supplement your life. It's not who you are, right? And I think that, you know, certainly medicine can be a calling and it is a huge part of your life and what you do. But I think that when you start kind of getting a little too tied to that of like, this is who I am, then if something goes wrong, or, you know, there's a bad outcome or things don't go well, it becomes more of like, you know, a character flaw or, you know, a personal thing, as opposed to 
it's a bad outcome, which, which happens or things don't go to plan. And so I think that looking ahead at your career and knowing that you want to do the absolute best for your patients. And, you know, I'm certainly somebody who's wanted to be involved in the profession and, you know, kind of striving to do these things, but at the same time, recognizing that it is what I do and it is partially to help support the life that I want to live outside of work. And so, you know, if I, you know, I kind of protect that time with my family and at home and to do the things that I want to do in the cycling next year, who knows, whatever that may look like. But I think that that just really kind of stuck with me. Um, and it was really kind of great, I think, to hear that from somebody who had dedicated so much of their life and time to the profession. And he was so involved for, for so many years and continues to be. So I think that that's something that I really... It, it was it was big for me to hear it at this point in my career, and I think it would have really been kind of helpful to hear that earlier on. Um, so, I know I'm working like when you are so deep into, it, especially during residency. I feel like you, oh, yeah, you residency is so hard with that because it is your day in day out, and you are on someone else's schedule. Mm-hmm. But that I hope uh, I remember I needed to hear that in residency and it's gotten better, but you can always continue (laughs) to improve. Yeah. You just need those reminders. I think sometimes, but you're right. You're so just like fully engrossed in it in residency, especially you're so deep down that fourth year rotations and all of that too. It's hard to see that kind of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, it's worth it, but I think it is a good reminder. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Thank you so much for being a, a guest and sharing your experiences and um, your, your knowledge and opinion on everything. I really appreciate having you on and uh, um, hopefully one to have you back and we can talk more about, because there's some things that I was like, oh, I need to, t- to ask her about that, but I don't want to get too far off topic. <laughs> no, no, this was great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, you know, like I said, if I ever, if I ever come back, then we can share some better statistics on uh matriculation right and and turn things around and hopefully we'll be in a better place so um I really appreciate it and thank you for for doing this yeah if anybody has wants to reach out to you um is there an email or uh Instagram that you don't mind someone reaching out I usually email is the best way to get a hold of me so it's going to be um ashley a-s-h-l-e-y dot dykis d-i-k-i-s at d-m-u dot e-d-u Oh, perfect. And I'll add that to the show notes. And then thank you again for being a guest. Absolutely. My pleasure. Email me at droxman at gmail.com. The address is in the show notes below. And let me know if there's a topic or if you know a kick-ass lady who should be interviewed. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to hearing your comments and suggestions on the podcast. And remember, stay uncomfortable. That's where we grow.